guys, I'm Abigail Meller, and welcome back to Generation Invincible, a podcast on public health, healthcare policy, and social justice issues by a millennial for millennials, and anyone else that cares about the health problems facing our nation and the world. So I really hope that everybody enjoyed the first ever interview on Generation Invincible that I posted last week. If you're listening to this and haven't had a chance to catch the interview, I interviewed Colin Shank, who is a rising fourth-year med student at the University of Pittsburgh Medical School. And if you have listened to the interview and liked it, let me know. I'm always looking for feedback and requests for future topics, so if you have an idea, send me an email. On that note, I want to start today's episode by responding to a listener's message. I got a request from Fahim, who aspires to enter the field of healthcare consulting. How does the U.S. healthcare system compare to third world countries, he asks. I was intrigued because usually we compare the U.S. to other developed countries when we're talking about healthcare systems. I've seen extensive comparisons of the U.S. healthcare system with nations like Sweden, who's known for their model of socialized medicine, or other various European models like those in France and the U.K. But third world countries, not so much. So I've decided to take Fahim's request and turn it into the first segment of today's episode, where I'll cover U.S. healthcare in comparison to Pakistan. I'm also going to talk about infant mortality rates. The term for it may be boring, but don't you know not to judge a book by its cover? She looked at me and this is what she said. Oh, there ain't no rest for the wicked. Money don't grow on trees. I got bills to pay. I got mouths to feed. There ain't nothing in this world for free. I know I can't slow down. I can't hold back. The United States is well known for its healthcare system. But at the same time, it is far from perfect. While we're at the forefront of medical innovation and technology, the underlying system is actually really flawed when it comes to providing all of the essential health services to all the different people that live in the United States for a reasonable cost. IDK, have we talked about this before? Oh, yeah, we have. Even the Affordable Care Act, which was supposed to push the U.S. healthcare system closer to its supposed superpower status, is being beat down as we speak. On Thursday, a federal judge said that the part of Obamacare where federal funds are used to pay health insurance companies in return for offering health care at a reduced cost is unconstitutional. Apparently, Congress never officially approved the allocation of the money for this purpose. But really, does Congress ever actually approve anything that is moderately left-leaning these days? This is where I get sad and really discouraged when looking at the health care system in the United States. It's literally so flawed. And we're supposed to be all living the American dream, but severely partisan politics in our country take the focus on laws and policies away from benefiting the people and onto the super fun arguing and conflicts that go on between Democrats, Republicans, and everyone in between. So if the U.S. healthcare system is so flawed, can we even imagine what the actual health system of a third world country is? In Pakistan, under the healthcare system, you would be 9.3 times more likely to die in infancy and die 12.51 years sooner than in the United States. You would also spend 99.62% less money on healthcare. This number is so representative of not only the fact that health costs in the United States are absolutely astronomical, but that so little Pakistanis have access to the health services that they don't even get them at all and therefore don't pay for them either. In the last three decades, the Pakistani health system has grown a ton, with an increasing number of programs, projects, interventions, and facilities, which are supported by different levels of government and development partners. However, according to the World Health Organization, 
The programs often overlap in geographical and thematic areas, which often leads to duplication of programs and a wastage of resources. The health sector is known to have large disparities between urban and rural areas and an imbalance in the workforce with an insufficient number of health managers, nurses, paramedics, and skilled birth attendants. Pakistanis have high fertility, low life expectancy, high maternal and child mortality, high incidence of infectious and communicable diseases, and a wide prevalence of malnutrition among children and women. Pakistan is only one of three remaining countries with endemic polio polio. Comparatively, the United States has not had a polio case originated from its country since 1979. Also, Pakistanis often experience massive natural and man-made disasters that require outside humanitarian assistance. Recent earthquakes and flooding have not only caused a large number of deaths, but also severe infrastructure damage. That, in combination with militancy in the north, has led to conflict, population displacements, and further security compromised areas. So when you think about Pakistan in comparison to the United States in reference to healthcare, the main focus is still on access to healthcare, but with some major differences. We worry about not being able to afford a doctor with our health insurance, and our number one cause of death is cardiovascular disease. And as we know, some of the contributing factors of cardiovascular disease are obesity and or diabetes, smoking, etc., etc. In Pakistan, the priorities are totally different. Access to healthcare is limited not by insurance, but due to actual lack of services. They also can't get to it because of armed conflicts throughout the country. So not only are they regularly in danger, also think additional health problems related to chronic stress, they have basically no access to health services. According to the WHO, World Health Organization, one of the biggest health problems that they have is an extremely high neonatal infant and under five mortality rates. The causes of these include malnutrition, diarrhea, acute respiratory, in acute respiratory illness, and other communicable and vaccine preventable diseases. Often in public health, we focus on infant mortality rates. Why? It's considered to be the strongest indicator of the health of the total population. So for the remainder of today's episode, I'd like to tell you guys a little bit more about infant mortality rates, what they are, why they're such a strong indicator of health, and what contributes to infant mortality around the world. number of deaths in children under one year of age per 1,000 live births in the same year. It's used as an indicator of health for a population because there's an association between the causes of infant mortality and other factors that influence the health status of whole populations. These factors include things like economic development, general living conditions, social well-being, rates of illness, and quality of the environment. It's important to point out that using infant mortality rate for health policy and health strategies is argued as being really flawed. These health policies target the outcome and sometimes ignore the rest of the population for which the outcome was supposed to help. So sometimes as a group's infant mortality rate decreases with infant mortality as the focus of health policy, the whole population's health sometimes actually stays the same or even degrades because the, or because the overseeing organization may be missing important factors for the entire population. 
Despite this argument, it's still viewed as the best indicator of a community health status, poverty and socioeconomic status levels in a community, and for the availability and quality of health services. History serves to prove the argument that infant mortality rates are actually a good indicator of health status and progress. For example, a huge decline in the U.S. infant mortality rate in the early 20th century is attributed to improvements in milk supplies and sanitation, which was directly as a result of the discovery and increased availability of antibiotics. In the 70s, 80s, and 90s, a continued decrease in infant mortality was connected to improvements in medical technology and better medical practice, specifically in obstetrics and the neonatal fields. Also, increases in early and adequate use of improved perinatal health outcomes at this time are related to expansions in public programs like Medicaid that not only help children but help entire populations. Recently, over the last decade, the decreasing trend of infant mortality rates in the U.S. has majorly slowed. So let's take a moment to think about what the origins of this may be from. In the past, changes in infant mortality have been as a result of medical innovation or expansion of public programs, as we just discussed. So what's one of the biggest problems in the U.S. right now related to healthcare? We have the technology and resources, so what do you think it is? The answer is race. Infant mortality has reached historic lows, but there has been less success in eliminating racial and ethnic disparities in infant mortality. Historically, infant mortality rates for infants born to African-American mothers have been two or more times higher than those born to white mothers. Similarly, Individuals, families, communities, and regions that have experienced social and economic disadvantage face greater barriers to good health. And race and ethnicity and a general lack of health equity are linked to exclusion or discrimination and are known to influence health status. We know that in the United States, not having health insurance is a huge barrier to access to, to affordable health and quality health care. A 2002 report called Unequal Treatment Confronting Racial and Ethnic Disparities in Healthcare discusses how a lack of health insurance coverage is strongly associated with health disparities and that racial and ethnic minority populations are more likely to be uninsured or underinsured. But what's important to remember is that infant death is a measure of the health and well-being of children and the overall health of a community. It reflects the status of maternal health, the accessibility and quality of primary health care, and the availability of supportive services in the community. Infant mortality rates vary a ton among racial and ethnic groups. The rate continues to be higher for African-American infants than for white infants. And infants with low birth weight or preterm delivery have a higher risk of death. And, the, and we know that the use of alcohol, tobacco, and illegal substances during pregnancy is a major risk factor for low birth weight, infant mortality, and other poor outcomes. Many of the risk factors for infant death can be prevented or reduced with good preconception and prenatal care. Advances in medical technology also have improved the survival of high-risk infants, such as those born before they reach full gestation. Other actions taken after birth can improve infants' health and chances of survival. For example, breastfeeding reduces rates of infection in infants, and putting infants to sleep on their back can help prevent sudden infant death syndrome, also known as SIDS. As some of you may know, May is Mental Health Month. So I'd like to challenge all of my listeners to do one thing for their mental health. And yes, this applies to all of you, whether or not you have a mental illness. Self-care is important, people. So do something, anything. That can mean letting yourself sleep in extra on Saturday, getting that fancy latte from your local coffee shop, or making an appointment with your therapist. Whatever helps you feel good, do it. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm going on vacation. 
So I'll also be taking a one-week hiatus from the podcast to enjoy a little sun and sand. See you guys in two weeks. But first, to submit feedback about Generation Invincible, ask questions, make suggestions for future episodes, or if you just want someone to listen to what you have to say, email generationinvincible at gmail.com. Until next time, in the words of Lucille Ball, love yourself first and everything else falls in line. You really have to love yourself to get anything done in this world. Thank you.